everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to this Super Revenue Brothers with Raul and Tony. In today's episode, we are going to discuss and debate what is better, full cycle reps or SDR and AE two-step. Enjoy. Raul, back. Is it actually Raul or Raul or how, how does that is the best to pronounce? So my mother would probably disagree. Uh, I think in German it's Raul, yeah. Uh, but it's actually from Romania. It's Raul. Raul. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, I I totally have the R, you know, going for me there. And for you, is it Tony or Tony? Just Tony. Yeah. It's okay. Tony. Wow. It's Tony. That, that's a wild Tony one. actually. <laughs> <laughs> No, I get that question a lot, actually. So, so. Yeah, I, I, probably. <laughs> What I do get in Germany a lot is like, uh, Tony, ah, uh, Anton. It's like, no, it's, it's Tony. It's actually Tony. It's actually Tony. It's like in my perso and my, you know, everything, it's Tony. Interesting. Yeah. It's one of those things where you, when you grow up, you're like, thanks, mom and dad. Thank you. You know? <laughs> did you, did you have <laughs> trouble in school because of the name? No, no, no. I think, in, you know, when you're young, it's not a problem. Also, you know, now I don't give a shit about this anymore. But when you kind of want to be more serious, Tony is kind of the 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 cute short form of of Anton, obviously, mm. right? And then it's like uh, then someone wants to address you, you know, properly, not Herr Holbein or something like that. But and it's like Tony. Ah, see, it's your nickname. But what's your what's your real name? It's like <laughs> no, it's it's my real name. But uh, you know. Yeah. So I actually, you know, I had a question come up from one of our customers. And they have been dabbling around in outbound SDR. And they're currently in an ACV range of 3 to 4K. You know, that was a great idea when cash was plenty. You know, apparently now, so I'm going to have a call with him soon, but apparently now that, that maybe is changing a little bit. And, you know, where this call is going to go towards, I'm already pretty sure is going to be, should we be doing STIE or should we be doing... AE full sales cycle. Mm. Yeah. And I'm myself big believer in the two step. And I wanted to kind of take this opportunity to talk, you know, with you through the case. What do you think about AE full cycle versus, let's just say there is a versus, you can run both of these things at the same time, versus SDR AE? What do you prefer and why? Let's start with that. Interesting. So you're, you're the believer in it, and I'm the disagreeer here. I would say that most people actually would agree with you uh, nowadays. And I, I would also say that there's a lot of merit to the two-step approach. So I'm not actually disagreeing with it. Uh, what I am disagreeing with is that's just the default best thing to do. And that's also sort of what, what most people go into. So most revenue leaders just do it because that's all they know. Because that was how it was done as their last company. Maybe they started as an SDR or then moved yeah. to an account executive. And that's sort of what they know. But that doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. No, for sure not. I think one of the reasons why it's so popular is the beginning of the si the sales cycle. Everyone hates it. Everyone across the board. Seasoned sales leaders hate it. AEs hate it. SDRs hate it. So what has been done here to a large degree is, okay, let's take this thing that we all hate and just give it to another role. And we tell that role, you need to be in this job that you're probably going to hate for 12 to 18 months and then you can go somewhere else. And there's a couple of, don't get me wrong, this is just the psychological view into this. There are a couple of other reasons why it's a good idea. But I think to a large degree, this is what's driven by 
And that's a larger, you also kind of, you know, when you now hire an AE, I'm not sure how it is in Germany, but in general, it's like, it's one of the first questions. Do you have like an SDR team or do I need to do that stuff myself, right? Yeah. But I think that that's exactly the problem. So <laughs> what you're thinking there is exactly the problem because yeah. you're just assuming everyone hates that part. And that's entirely not true. I would agree that a lot of people don't like it. Yeah. Me personally, if money were not the issue, right? Because we're talking about the activity. Yeah. If money were not the issue, I would much rather prefer to be an SDR all day than an account executive. Yeah. And I've been both. And actually, I do think that goes beside the point a little bit. The job of an SDR is much more difficult than a job of an I account executive. I think so too. And so actually, if we're talking about career progression, it should probably be from account executive to SDR. Much more likely <laughs> when it comes to what's a difficult job and what's an evolution. I think it should at least be compensated very similarly. I just kind of talk yeah. about it like this. I think a lot of SDRs move out of the SDR role. And I believe that, by the way. And you're right, it's not everything. But in my career, and I've had probably three, 400 SDRs, maybe 10, 20 of them really enjoyed the job. And yeah, actually but, didn't want to move out. I think everyone else was like... But I, how I many know. of them did you hire and told them from the beginning, hey, listen, we know you're going to hate this job. We, we never told this to anyone because that's <laughs> not how you hire anything, right? But I think there's... I think, you know, once you have that culture going, it's also like, ah, it's, yeah, yeah, you want to move out of this real quick, right? Yeah. Kind of that's from everyone. So I totally agree with you on this one where it's, you know, obviously when you set it up like that, it's kind of, it's not going to work out in, in terms of that. But no, I totally agree with you. SDR is, I think, one of the... So, let you know, SDR, what, what is that actually? Kind of, let's talk about this for, you know, one millisecond. SDR stands for Sales Development Rep. There are some folks who call it BDR, you know, Business Development Rep. And when we're talking about this, we're not talking about the cushy inbound SDR job where, you know, someone comes to your website, requests a demo, and then the SDR jumps on it. No, we're talking about the, here's a completely cold lead list with phone numbers of the switchboard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And now go call and, you know, try and figure out who wants to buy this thing, right? So that is the, that's the hardcore outbound cold calling role that we're really talking about, right? And that role usually tees up to the account executive, you know, a meeting uh, of sorts. And, you know, that's what that kind of is about. One of the other reasons why I really don't like this AE full cycle thing is I really like the operational thing of having a handover. It creates a really, it's a friction point, you could say, but it creates a really nice measuring point as well. You know, creating an opportunity then someone else taking it versus the and you see this when you have full sales cycles rep, it's like they're working on the account level and everything is cool. And then they're waiting very long before they open the opportunity. Then they create the opportunity and, you know, 10 days later, it's close one. It's like, really? Did yeah. it really only just take 10 days? Or did you just work it on the account for like three months before you got there? There are a couple of those things that they go in both directions, right? And then the other reason is then the, not only when you create the opportunity, but also whether you create an opportunity. If you sit down with a full cycle rep and be like, okay, your pipeline looks shit. Your pipeline coverage is low to your target. I mean, the rep can with, you know, and you maybe have a solution for this, but fairly easily go out, create opportunities that don't actually need to be opportunities, right? If you have those two roles separated, you create this, you know, one, one person is creating this opportunity, it's being incentivized on it. And then the other role needs to take the opportunity over. You create a really nice sense check, double check between those two rules, roles for that to be a trustworthy metric to track. Let's go back to you. I mean, why is it that you like the AE full cycle thing so much? 
So first of all, I understand your point. Ha. I think I think it's a weak point though, to be, to be honest, because <laughs> it's like so you're you want to measure something, which I actually quite like, mm -hmm. but you're not. You need to. You can also set up the right way that even with just one person, you can still measure that correctly. Yeah. So it's not like it's impossible. It's more that maybe you haven't done your job correctly if, if that's your way out. Mm -hmm. But it's also a very expensive way out. So it's not like you're making it easy there, on yourself. You know, I, I still have a couple of reasons in my pocket here. I just okay. want to do a, like a mini start here, you know, okay, that we can okay. get going. So I think really when I'm thinking top down, any time you should be, and I'm, I don't want to make this into a whole go-to-market discussion, but when you're thinking about your motion just in these terms, two-step cycle, Maybe you could even go by like key account management, which maybe you could have both at the same time mm. versus just one person who, who's doing the whole funnel. I think even two people is so arbitrary. Like why, if you're liking that approach, why not have eight for eight different funnel steps, right? And there's probably a sane level where it's maybe too much, but why have we decided that two is the right level? And I think what I'm trying to get at is you should be thinking about your target customer or customer segmentation and be thinking about what are the optimal sort of segments or groups of, of, of progress, processes you want to guide them through. And if that means that it makes sense and is also sensible for your numbers to guide them through two steps, and that's not going to create too much friction on their side, then go ahead. But sometimes it doesn't mean that. And what I mean by that is, so a handover, and you highlighted the nice part of it, which is you can measure something, which I, I agree, right? It, it, you can measure something that's nice. But also it fucks up the relationship many times. So it's not like that goes frictionless and the customers will always appreciate it. Sometimes they might, oftentimes they might not because they might really get a liking to the SDR. Yeah. So, okay, the relationship argument. I've, you know, I heard this 20,000 times, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's really not like you have a face-to-face -face love relationship that, you know, is being developed there between the SDR and the other party. Usually the only thing that changes is the, you know, email signature. That's what changes, right? So you have a conversation, you have a couple of emails, then you hand over. Usually that is nothing that, you know, has been developed over months and years. It's very transactional, right? And you could even go further and then say, well, now we have the AE, the AE close wins the deal and oh no, then he gives it over to the CSM. You know, all of this should be full cycle, right? So these people should be, you know, carrying through with the customer. I don't think that customers want to have this factory feel, don't get me wrong, but I also think they don't mind it. I don't think that there's an issue to that. I think where it flips for me, and especially on the AE to AM side, or account executive to account manager or CSM side, right, is as you invest more time into the relationship building, which is something that is usually prone to enterprise, you should be thinking about whether or not you want to shred all of that capital you spend you know, and start from a fresh once it's on the customer side. And I think, and I talked to folks from like Gainside, how they kind of built this thing. And they kind of came to the same conclusion in the enterprise. And we're talking not SDI and E, we're talking enterprise AE. It's usually, you know, where it's pre and post sales is the same account executive owning the account and building out the account. In the more transactional segments, mid-market, SMB and so forth, it's usually then where you, you know, end up having two, two teams actually taking care of it, right? So they have one team still focused on, you know, acquiring new logos versus the other one retaining them. Yeah. And I think that actually leads me to, you know, one of my other arguments around this. Let you me jump into to one so, more because I, we're not done here yet. So the friction <laughs> argument, I knew that you were going to go into that. And I agree with you that maybe the face thing is not as important as some people might think. Sometimes it is. 
So some SDRs re are really, really good at that. Um, but that's really not my point. It's more about, and that's not even mid-market. It doesn't even have to be enterprise. So the fact alone that there is a handover with a lot of history and a lot of things that have been discussed already, and now I have to tell that all over again to another person, is where a lot of customers from their side are just not willing to do that work anymore, or you're losing them. Or maybe they're even willing because they're very interested in that tool, but you're not. You're losing a lot of the qualification. And even if you do the best handover in the world and you're setting up Bund really well and whatever else kind of methodology you're thinking about, there's so much detail information that is lost. And we're not just talking about the name of the dog of the prospect. Mm. We're talking about the last tool that they implemented a couple of years ago or why they did that. We're, we're talking about how decisions are being made and all that stuff. And that, to me, is the tragedy of the handover. When it comes to the handover later to customer success, you're at a much later point in the in the and, and also much more investment from the customer already where they might be willing to put up with that. And they also know that the new relationship that they're now investing in and, and the new information they're giving over is probably going to be in the hands of one person for more time than, than okay. not. Yeah. So No, I am um, I think that the relationship piece is a plus. Does it outweigh all the cons? I'm not so sure. Because going to the next thing and People listening here will have recognized this probably. So you do your full cycle sales rep thing. And what you're probably going to end up seeing is you're going to see a very choppy performance and quarters coming out of that. You're going to see folks that, you know, knock it out of the park. And then next quarter, they're absolutely behind, right? Some people then start calling it sales cons consistency and then sales and so forth. And then they're fret over, oh, why is that? Why are my reps sometimes hitting and sometimes not hitting? And the reason is they will periodically or seasonally, I'm not sure how to say that, they will think about generating pipeline predominantly and then they will go into closing that pipeline and then they will think about generating that pipeline again and then they will think about closing that pipeline again. And if they're really, really lucky, it kind of cancels each other out. If you're like most people are unlucky about it, you will see that they have a great quarter and then they have a shit quarter. And then how do you want to go and solve it? You want to go and like, oh, performance management, you need to make those calls, where's your pipeline, all of that stuff. In my reality, that then led to, okay, here's this quote-unquote superstar rep, hit 150%, basically carried the company over the line, created two opportunities this quarter. <laughs> you want to fire that guy? You no. won't fire that guy, right? And then, you know, next quarter, everyone knows he's going to flunk or she's going to flunk. She knows that. She starts prospecting like crazy, created 100 opportunities in order to get set up again. And then, you know, hits 10 or 20% of target. First time it's like, oh, now you feel you can put her on a pip and stuff. What? Guess what's going to happen next quarter? She's going to knock it out of the park again. And you have this like back and forth all the time. And then I think this is deeply rooted in the context switching that I agree is really difficult, I think, from just a human perspective between, okay, redlining with this customer, we are in, at InfoSec with this customer, here we have a stakeholder meeting to, oh, let me kind of do the cold call over there real quick in order to, you know, build a new opportunity. I think it's difficult to balance that out. I agree 100% with what you're saying. And I, I actually, I don't just say that it's difficult to cancel them out. I, I think that one approach is vastly superior to the other, mm. which is consistency beats this trough and peak thing for almost everyone. Yeah, That's true for most things in life. So we'd much rather go by a more consistent development than just a couple of peaks, unless they're so big yeah. that it really matters. And this is where I'm going with that. It's Again, I have nothing against two-way rep motions, right? What I'm trying to say, and my, that's my whole argument, is 
you need to differentiate between when is it good to do one and when is it good to the other. Mm. And your argument basically leads to exactly mine, which is there is a sweet spot. Yeah. And it's quite a lot, it's quite a large amount of, of sweet spots, but you're thinking very much from the SaaS world mm. where it makes sense to split this work up because of, for example, the fact that you're talking about. Yeah. But when sales cycles become either very, very short or very, very long, this argument tends to not be very strong in them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, and this tends to be either the case when there's really fast moving things. So one example is I actually built up sales once where we sold dog food on the phone and it was subscriptions for dog food and it was one call sale. Mm. That's like a very extreme example, but there's no point in setting this up into no a motion. Yeah. It's the shortest amount of sales cycle possible. Sometimes yeah. there were two calls, but there's no point in that. So it's sort of, it, there has, it has limits to the short side, but then it has also limits to the long side. So at my last job before Project A, our customers were automotive customers, Volkswagen, Daimler, yeah. and so on and so forth. And these sales cycles are incredibly long. And this argument you're making is not very relevant there anymore because you're not constantly building funnel. You're yeah. constantly working on the same deals. And yeah. there, it becomes incredibly important to have this one nod that brings customer a thousand percent. Uh, together. Yeah. And so I think in, in, in a certain world, for a certain amount of customer, splitting things up makes sense. For another kind of customer in another world, depending on the product, it makes no sense. And this goes to my argument, yep. which is differentiate and think about how to conquer certain fields of the market. So, you know, I could keep going here, but how do you actually, you know, so now that we sufficiently confused everyone, yeah, <laughs> that all of this is actually pretty great. Both things are pretty great. How do you go about like splitting those two things apart and creating a bit, okay, if you have this and that, go right. If you have this and the other thing, you probably need to go left. Yeah. So I will add one more confusion before I give an, an answer to that. And so, because that it's really the trend du jour confusion nowadays. So think about the fact that we're moving more and more towards a PQL motion mm-hmm. in many, many companies, which PQL is a product qualified lead, which basically means that instead of an SDR, you have the product bringing in the leads, which that's a completely different story uh, yeah. as well. In that motion, maybe you are actually going back to a world where all you have in is one account executive who there is no SDR anymore, and the SDR is being replaced by PQL. Yep. I don't think that works 100%, and it works only specific cases, but that is also something that is happening. So maybe for the companies that five years ago with another business model and another market would have used two people, now they're using just one person. Yeah. And to make things now simple and actionable again, I think that many times as you're growing really through your journey, and that's really what I've seen in many, many companies by now, is you start probably from a more unified role and then you start to differentiate and you understand why. And so you could either start just with product-led growth in the beginning and then not have a salesperson or just have a salesperson and then bring the other thing in or maybe both at the same time. But you differentiate where needed because you understand what the strengths and and, and weaknesses are. So I I think the truth might even be much simpler than that, to be honest. I think... Yes, people say sales development rep and then account executive. And then for some reason, I think both of them are really in the sales team. But actually, that's untrue. It's the account executive that's in the sales team. The SDR is really in the demand gen team. Right? That's actually what it is. And now you have inbounds landing. Do I believe that the inbounds should be booked by the SDR? No. You know, you should have something like Chili Piper in place or some other routing mechanism that books it directly into the AE's calendars, you know, where it's applicable. If you have something like product-led growth or, you know, then PQLs coming out of this in place, you know, guess what? You can do the exact same thing, right? The demand basically landed here. They progressed to a certain stage in the product. They reached the aha moment. And now an AE kind of takes them and closes them. And if you can afford it, if you can afford that demand channel, which is SDRs, 
and usually you need more than 10K in ACVs, you know, rough rule of thumb. You can have another conversation about that in order to make this work. If you can afford SDRs, you should be employing SDRs in order to do, you know, a focused effort on the outbound. Yes, AEs can do that as well. Maybe they're busy with closing. You should have those focused assets, resources, you know, go after outbound meetings that you can't reach through the other channels that you have built up. And they then hand over those meetings to the AEs, right? For me, it's really actually, it's two worlds, full cycle and SDR two-step to a degree, almost actually it's apples to oranges to a degree. And you have the AEs on the one hand side, they are just responsible for closing. Should you have an expectation that they do some self-prospecting as well? Yes, you should have that. There are many kind of practical and performance management reasons for that. And then on the other side, you have all your demand gen channels, which SDR is just, you know, one of them. And if you can afford them, just like you, you know, maybe you can or cannot afford LinkedIn or Google or some of the other things or events or webinars or whatever, then you should, I think you should totally go for them, right? So from a capital efficiency perspective, yep. you're making a lot of sense. Unless you're bringing in the factor of efficiency of those leads that are coming in mm. and qualification of those leads, right? Yeah. Because that's another function of an SDR that maybe or maybe not a PQL can suffice or not, mm. which is the qualification and then pre-filtering of those leads. You can even bring in something like an SAL, which is a sales accepted lead. Yeah. So even be between marketing and an SDR, you can say, oh, no, no, this is not a good enough lead to even for me to call. So this filtering function, I see this in really execution being a much bigger problem for most companies even. It's not even about just the volume always, it's about the quality of leads and what do we work on if not. No, but for me, so, and maybe we're just talking past each other here, but an outbound role, what it does, it's reaching segments of the market that you have difficulties reaching otherwise. Yeah. Because not everyone is gonna see your Facebook ads. Not everyone is on LinkedIn. Not everyone is, you know, on Instagram seeing kind of your ads there. Not everyone is waking up this morning and feel like, oh, I really need to, buy a subscription service for dog food, right? Yeah. And it's, um, you know, these people, you call them up. And by the way, calling is the instrument here. It's not emailing or something else. And maybe that's another episode. But, you know, calling them up and then using this channel, this medium to educate them. And if you figure this out in the right way and then able to kind of flip them immediately, you know, then totally do that. Whether that needs to be two roles is almost then kind of a separate topic, right? But it's, for me, the cool thing about Outbound is that you can reach segments that you otherwise can't. And it's a demand gen function, meaning you're not limited by inbounds coming in or PQLs being created. You're limited by the phone book, right? Kind of that's that's a limitation. And that's a great, that's a really nice wide ocean to kind of dive into. Obviously making it work, really fucking difficult. I'm sorry, it's difficult, right? So how, how do you kind of get the pitch to work? How do you get the economics to work? How do you get the handover to work? Your inbound, your AEs that are, used to inbound, it's going to be, it's going to be a different conversation on those outbound calls. <laughs> you yeah. know? I can tell you that. And you're going to go from order taker AE, if that's your current motion, to actually sales account executive, which is, it might totally fail, by the way. But yeah, that's my approach. And I think the other piece on the full cycle, you kind of mentioned a couple of really good examples where it just doesn't make sense to break this thing up, both on the high end and on the low end. The other thing where people then usually say is like, you know, full cycle between five and 10K or something like that. So people talk about this as an ACV. And, and yep. I think sometimes that's also winning by design kind of going in that. But I think that's that also makes sense to me at least. Yeah. And one more point also to agree with your splitting up a two ways mm -hmm. uh, approach and outbound specifically. When you're starting out, 
and you're going to market, which whatever that means, maybe another episode. But let's say you're you have some hypotheses on your ICP ideal customer profile, and you're going out and you say, oh, we have this list of customers that we're targeting. You do need to do outbound to some effect yeah. to uh, to reach those customers to mm-hmm. either validate or invalidate your hypotheses that this is the right ICP. There is no other way. Like no amount of ABM is ever going to get you exactly to the right people when you want to call them. A thousand percent. So, and by the way, here and this is really the full cycle argument. Does it make sense to split it in an SDR and AE at that point? No. But you could also have an account executive do outbound, right? It's more yes. of an argument for outbound than it is an account for splitting things. Oh up. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's really. This is, you know, something like that is really kind of really great for, you want to have as much intelligence as possible in kind of the same brain yeah. or information rather in the same brain. You don't want to split this up. I think this whole factory motion, I think that kicks in once you're starting to understand what you're actually doing, right? And it's and, and then it may or may not make sense for a couple of other reasons that we discussed, but that's almost the approach. But. But here's how that how that comes into place many times, and I'm seeing it in companies that we're having, is most companies start with founder-led sales. Yes. It doesn't matter if they're having product-qualified leads or if they're doing inbound at all or if they're just doing outbound or just phone booking. Yep. They're having founder-led sales. And so at some point, the founder is going to be like, okay, this is sort of working. Let's hope that that's the case. Mm. If not, they're not selling. That's probably an issue in itself. Mm. But I need help. Right. And what help do I need? I don't really, I'm there for the closing. I can do the demos best. What do I need? I just need someone to do all the calling to make sure nothing falls down. So well, who do they hire? They hire an SDR mm. or someone like doing like that, doing SDR work. Sometimes they hire someone to do SDR sales ups at the same time. There's yeah. all kinds of, yeah. of, of approaches, but typically that's the first sales hire. Yeah. And so out of that, at some point, the now the leader says, or the founder says, well, I can't do that anymore. I need to hire an account executive sort of to replace me. And so unconsciously, they just set that motion to place already where there is, this is how things evolve. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't thought about it like this, actually. But that doesn't But you're mean, right. And, yeah, and you're it's right. a good approach in the first year sometimes, right? Yeah. Because you need to start, try things out. You need to scale the founder. But And that's my point. You have to, if, if you're consciously deciding that a two-way split, three-way split, whatever, is the right thing to do, go for it. It's a great thing. But don't just do it because you don't know what else to do or because that's how you grew. Yeah. I think that's maybe a good kind of closing note yeah. here is know the fuck you're doing, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> and the point really, which is why this is a fun conversation, is both of these approaches are valid. Yeah. <laughs> now that we now that we try to clear the confusion, just to kind of add to it, both of these approaches are fine. I think there's a different time and space where they're like where they're better and or not and sifting this out this comes a little bit from again understanding why you're doing it how you're doing it and so forth and i think one of them is more scalable than the other i i believe so i think it's easier to hire in all of those recent graduates that you know have tons of energy and you know pound the phones but it's definitely the not the right thing to do at below 1 million ar let's just say it like that right this is the factory line that you want to build out eventually if you can afford it, meaning if you are in the right ACV band in order to support suppliers. Wow. Raul. Nice one. Thanks, Raul, for spending the time here and looking forward to our next session. Thanks, Tony. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.